we are grateful that you are here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning, and it is my privilege to have the opportunity to share from God's Word this morning. I'm grateful for Pastor Craig giving me the opportunity this morning to, uh, to share with you. Uh, I, I Normally when I preach, uh, he's normally not here, uh, so he doesn't know uh, if it's good or bad or indifferent. So uh, today's a little different experience as I... Uh, uh, preach with him in the audience and uh, as I told you last week I wasn't sure I'd have a job after I finished the announcements of sharing his ailments uh, not sure that I'll have a job today after I finish preaching uh, so it's so kind of a day-by-day -day thing that we have uh, I hope you will have your Bibles and you will take them and turn to Ephesians chapter 5 uh, we will be looking there and beginning with verse uh, 15 in just a few moments uh, but while my family and I were away this uh, uh, past, uh, it's been now two weeks ago, we had the opportunity to be away and travel. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get to, to spend quite a bit of time out uh, on the water. We uh, had an opportunity to go on a, a rafting trip and spend a, a half a day or so rafting uh, down a, a pretty uh, a rushing river and had a great time. Then we had some time on a very quiet and calm lake as we got to uh, kayak around and kids paddleboarded and uh, uh, I fell off the paddleboard uh, but uh, it, it was very enjoyable doing that and then we finished it up uh, with getting to, uh, to be on a different lake and we were, um, we were able to, uh, to rent a boat and spent uh, dragging the kids around on a, on a tube and got to pick up the pace a little bit for them. And, uh, so we had, had a great time doing that, but while we were on all three of those different types and very unique uh, bodies of water, uh, there was something that was very consistent in all three of those. Uh, that being that there was a necessity for a source of power and there was a necessity for a way to control whatever it was that we were on. Uh, and frankly, sometimes we control those better than others, but it was a process that we had to be able to have some type of power and some type of source of control. Well, you know, that's similar to the Christian life. Uh, in, uh, in our Christian life, the enemy places traps and obstacles that are intended to wipe us out. And if we do not have something that guides us and controls us and directs us, then we are going to many times end up crashing into those dangers and not being able to avoid them. Uh, but also, if we do not have a source of power, then we end up being inept and our usefulness is diminished greatly. Paul addresses both of these situations this morning as he exhorts the church in Ephesus, beginning with verse 15. I hope if you have your Bible, you will follow along. There's pew Bibles underneath your seat if you need one. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 15 through 21. God's Word says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand that the will of, what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always 
for all things, the God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we have this privilege of coming to your word, Father, we are grateful for it. We're grateful for the instruction that we receive from Scripture. Father, I pray that in these next few moments, Father, I pray that your spirit would empower the words of me as your very weak and frail vessel. But Father, it would please you to use the words that you have given this week that would be beneficial to build up your church, to encourage us as a body. Father, I pray that your spirit would find great freedom in this place to move, and I pray that anything that would hinder your spirit, Father, I pray that it would be removed. Father, I pray that you would get glory and honor from our time together. Father, I pray that we collectively would be drawn closer together as a body of believers, and then, Father, also that we would be drawn closer to you, our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This passage begins with the phrase, see then, which some of your translations will have, therefore. It points back to what Paul has been addressing to the church up until this point. Paul has been talking to the church about how they walk. He began this in chapter 2, verse 2, and he has continued talking about the way that they that the church is walking and he tells them that they are to walk in the light not in the darkness if you're children of the light then you know uh, you don't know where the danger is therefore here he is saying that we must walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise this is the last time that Paul will use the word walk in this uh, book of Ephesians. It's the final time that he uses this analogy. But this word picture is giving the idea that it's a step-by-step -step process, a day-in, day-out process of living one's life, of going about doing the things of life but doing those in such a way that God receives honor and that we are useful to God in the kingdom of faith. The word circumspectly carries with it an understanding of to carefully consider all the circumstances and possible consequences of one's actions. Paul is ultimately telling us here that we are to wa watch carefully how we live or how we walk. It's the first point on your outline there. Watch carefully how you live. The first command in that, first guide in that, is to watch carefully that we are to live wisely. He contrasts this. He contrasts living wisely with living foolishly. To not live foolishly is to live in wisdom. To live in wisdom is to be obedient 
to God's call on our lives, to be obedient to His commands. Throughout Scripture, we see this theme of wisdom. Through the Old Testament, we see that we have wisdom literatures. We have Job, Psalm, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Today, when we talk about a fool, we talk of someone who's unintelligent or irresponsible. But Scripture has a much stronger definition and understanding of what a fool is. Ultimately, a fool is one who says there is no God and ultimately lives his life that way. But the root of wisdom, the root of wise living is found in fearing God. Proverbs 9, 10 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We must be careful. We must be careful to watch that we walk or that we live wisely in our daily activities as we walk about our lives day in, day out, and moment by moment. Secondly, we must watch carefully, making the most of every opportunity that we are given. John MacArthur says about making the most of every opportunity, he says this, when we walk obediently in the narrow way of the gospel, we walk carefully, making the most of our time, we take full advantage of every opportunity to serve God, redeeming our time to use for His glory, we take every opportunity to shun sin and to follow righteousness. So then, Paul says this in Galatians 6.10, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Another commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, he summarized verse 16 in this way redeeming the time, making the most of your time. To redeem means to buy back. The implication is that time is in bondage and that a price must be paid to buy it back. The Greek word here used for time is kairos, which does not view time as extended, but rather time as an appointed opportunity. The idea is that God gives us choice moments to seize for His purpose. We must be alert to His purposes and to grab those opportunities like a shrewd merchant sees an opportunity for a profit and grabs it. Redeeming the time also has very special reference to our Christian witness and not missing opportunities to share the gospel message. This past week, we had the opportunity to be praying for our mission team as they were in Guatemala, and God did some really great things there, and one of the things they gave back to us is their blog. They had several posts that different members put on there, and if you've not had a chance to read those, I encourage you to go to our website under missions and find those posts, and 
uh, you will get a flavor of what they experienced there during their time at Guatemala. But one of those such posts caught my attention this week when I er read it earlier in the week. The title of it was, Somebody Has to Pay. And as I began reading that post, it began telling of their uh, day beginning in the, one of the schools in Zone 21 there uh, in Guatemala City. I've been to Zone 21. I've been to some of those schools and been able to go into the public schools there and share Bible stories and ultimately share the plan of salvation and the gospel message there in those schools. That morning they had had the opportunity to share with about 400 students, had had a great time, and they were planning to actually head to another city away from uh, Guatemala City, so they had a very tight schedule. So they were leaving the school, coming back, and walking back to the two vans which had been parked on the side of the street. Uh, they were beginning to walk up a steep grade, and the streets, if you've ever been in a third world country, Guatemala City is no different. Narrow streets, and uh, sometimes the streets are, are uh, more narrow than the cars are. And in this case, with the cars that were parked on the side, with the van, uh, vans being there, there was a large truck that had been trying to make its way by the vans unsuccessfully and had ended up hitting the side of the team's van. Uh, they ended up uh, going up and began talking with the driver for a variety of reasons and with the culture there and with the level of financial uh, instability and economic depression, uh, it was a very big deal for this driver that this had occurred and there was some very significant implications to him as a result of that. They were waiting for the police and also insurance adjusters to arrive there, so this began a long drawn out process. But during this time, uh, as the post described, it became a quite volatile time with the driver there. And it could have become a, a very uh, bad situation. However, by the grace of God and by the moving of God's Spirit, we saw, and through the post, we saw God do an amazing thing. And over a period of that time, one of the members of our team said, you know, I wonder if they're thirsty. So they ended up taking some bottles of water to them, ended up taking a couple of snacks up. Following that, someone said, you know, we got these salvation bracelets. You know, we really should go and share that. This may, may be part of God's plan. This may be an intentional detour. Ends up having the opportunity to share the plan of salvation with the driver and his, his helper ultimately end up there on this busy street being able to pray over this driver and pray for him, pray for his family. Ended up ultimately being able to show him great grace and mercy and forgiveness to him during that time. So a volatile situation, a situation that could have turned to be a very evil situation was redeemed into a divine appointment. You and I must be very careful that we watch and do not miss or waste opportunities that God gives us to do good, to do His will, and specifically opportunities He gives us 
to speak truth and to speak the gospel into lives of those individuals that he appoints us to do not miss those opportunities. Thirdly, we're to watch carefully understanding what the will of God is. One of the greatest displays of wisdom in the life of a believer is to continually desire to seek and to know and to understand what the will of God is. One writer states it this way, the unwise believer who behaves in a foolish manner tries to function apart from God's will and is inevitably weak, frustrated, and ineffective, but in his, both in his personal life and in his work for the Lord. The only cure for such foolishness is to find and to follow the will of God. In our short time, we don't have time to delve in to all of the ways that Scripture tells us that we are how to find the will of God, but I want to point you to a passage that's been a great encouragement and a help to me throughout my Christian walk. Romans, 1, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is understood as we worship God with our whole being, holding nothing back. As we allow His Word to wash over us and conform us and transform our mind and heart to that which is good, that which is acceptable and perfect. No one, no one in this place or who will ever be in this place or any other place is able to live wisely, seize every opportunity and fully understand the will of God while they continue in their fleshly carnal lives. It's in, um, an impossible assignment. We must, we must yield our hearts to God and to His Spirit because the beautiful reality is that we are not to live this life alone. Verse 18 holds the key to this entire passage and also to the entire book of Ephesians. Verse 18 commands all believers to be filled with the Spirit. That's the second point on your outline, to be filled with the Spirit. But why does Paul, at this point, he almost abruptly interjects the subject of drunkenness? As I studied that, came across a writing and an explanation from the great Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, The Life, uh, Life in the Spirit. And he gives these two possible reasons, and I found them very helpful. I hope you do too. First of all, drunkenness and debauchery were characteristic of the feudal and sensual lives from which the Ephesians had been saved and in which their contemporaries still lived. Paul is drawing a marked contrast between 
the old way of life and the new. Secondly, he uses the analogy of wine and drunkenness to show that while there is great contrast between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit, there is also many similarities. Even as one is filled with wine is under the, its influence, so we as Christians should be under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is symbolic of the height of foolishness, the loss of direction, and the waste of life without God. But there is a better way, and that is what Paul is telling us. And that better way is to be filled with the Spirit. There's two aspects of the filling of the Holy Spirit here, and we see it best when we look at the original text and the Greek verb tense. The idea of the filling of the Holy Spirit here, it is an ongoing, continual, repeated process. It is not a once and done process of being filled with the Spirit. We are to be continually filled. We see this in the lives of folks throughout the New Testament of them continually being filled by the Spirit. This is contrary to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit that comes and is a gift, a free gift from God when we are saved, when we experience salvation, when God, by His grace, calls us out of our sins. And we respond to that in humble, yielded obedience, confessing and repenting of our sins. At that moment of salvation, there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's a one-time event. But here we see that it is a continual, ongoing process of being filled by the Spirit. The second thing that's important to note is that it's a command. This is an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. We should take this positive command just as seriously as the command of be not drunk with wine. We should take it and see it as important and recognize if we are not continually being filled by the Spirit, we are disobeying God. You, you may ask and correctly ask, how, how does this occur? How do we do this on an ongoing basis? Well, if we follow the comparison that Paul has given us, we know that to be filled with wine, you give yourself over to it. You continue in it. To be filled with the Spirit, we must yield ourselves completely to the Lord, continuing to do that. If being filled means to yield control, then we must continually examine our hearts and our lives to see those areas where we have not done that or areas that we may have previously yielded that we have come back and taken control of those areas. But we must constantly drink in the things of the Spirit and we must come before God asking Him to fill us 
with his spirit. Jesus tells us this in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's my prayer today that we will continually pray as the people of Ivy Creek that God would fill us with His Spirit. God has graciously given us a great responsibility and a great task and a great opportunities in this community. But I pray that we do not attempt to do those in our own wisdom, in our own strength, in our own abilities, but that we are dependent on the Spirit of God filling each and every one of us as believers, using the gifts that God has given us that we impact this community, but also around the world, just as our team had the opportunity to do in Guatemala this week, for the gospel to be advanced, for the kingdom of God to be advanced, and for God to receive the soul and ultimate glory. However, Paul, in his writings tells us there are two pitfalls to us being continually filled with the Spirit. The first one he tells us just earlier in Ephesians when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's talking to believers here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit by disobeying God's Word. This is a continual disobeyment. This is a habitual action of disobeying God's Word. Instead of allowing God's Word to be revealed in us and to reveal sin in us, reveal areas that we need to yield to Him, instead, we reject that, we refuse it, and we continue to walk in disobedience. That is going to limit, that is going to interfere with the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is through the preaching, hearing the Word of God preached. It is through studying God's Word corporately and independently and reading God's Word that God reveals to us those areas that we need to continually yield to Him. Secondly, Paul tells us, do not quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit is to suppress or stifle the Spirit. To suppress or stifle, think of that flame on the candle that you may have lit maybe at Christmas time. And you get ready to put it out and you have one of the neatest little tools I think there is, and that's a little candle snuffer and it looks like a thimble on a stick, and you take that and you put it over that flame, and it causes the oxygen not to be able to get to the wick and to the flame, and it snuffs it out. We must be very cautious that we do not have a situation of continual 
rejection of refusing to obey the voice of God in our lives to where we do not hear the Spirit because the Spirit of God is drowned out by the clutter, by the distractions, and by all the other voices in our lives. We must be cautious of that. We must hear this warning and heed it as we desire to be filled continually by the Spirit of God. Because Paul tells us at the latter part of this passage the results of living a Spirit-filled life. He tells us this in verses 19 through 21. The results of living a Spirit-filled life, a life controlled and guided by the Spirit will result in joy, thanksgiving, and submission. These results are not just towards God, but they're towards others. This is two-dimensional. It's not only our relationship vertically to God, but it also impacts our relationship horizontally to others. My friends, if, if we're having issues, you know, one another, then we need to examine what within me, what within me is not yielded to the Spirit of God because here we're told that the result of living a Spirit-filled life is joy, being thankful, and then having a mutual submission, a mutual yielding to one another. Joy is not conditional upon what your circumstance is or your situation that you come in here today. Now, being happy, uh, that's, that's true. But joy, God-given joy is not conditional on your circumstance. Being thankful in all things is not conditional in what you're experiencing. We're commanded to be thankful in all things. And when the Spirit of God indwells us, then we're able to see the hand of God in what we would describe as a bad, or to use Paul's word earlier, an evil situation, but ultimately we find and see the opportunity that is made available because of that challenging situation. And then to be able to give thanks for that because we have been able to be given a different perspective. One of the greatest things we can do for folks when they're going through the challenges and hard times of life that struggle, uh, bring us to breaking points is to pray that they would gain a divine perspective of what God is doing in the midst of that and can ultimately be able to give God thanks and that God gains the glory through that difficult, challenging situation that they would have never chosen to walk through. And finally, the mutual submission. Submission is not valued in our culture. That's not how you get ahead. That's not how you climb the corporate ladder. But in God's economy, yielding one's own desires to another is valued. There's benefit. 
It's mutually beneficial when we do that. We're following in the example of Christ when we mutually submit to one another because it displays the glory of God in our feeble and weak lives. Philippians 2, Paul tells us about this, gives us a picture of this in the life of Christ. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourself more significant than others. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The results of living a life filled by the Holy Spirit is joy, gratitude, and a humble love that's vertical to God and horizontal to one another. I pray that our lives, the lives of Ivy Creek, the life of Ivy Creek, that that is what it's marked by, is a life filled with the Holy Spirit, where those about us see our joy, those of us, those about us see our thankfulness and our gratitude, and where they see us submitting to one another and humbly loving one another. I commend you, you do that greatly, but I exhort you to continue to walk in that. So then this morning, our sermon in a sentence, God's will is for you to live a life of thanksgiving that is continually filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit so that you may live wisely and make the most of every opportunity that He has given to you. I hope this morning that your prayer is that God would fill you with His Spirit, that He would take control and that He would give you the power to do His will. For some of you, the first step in that is to yield to Him for the first time. Accept Him as Savior and Lord for the first time. If that's the case, then this morning you can do that. Pastor Craig and Pastor Dave are going to be down here in just a moment after we pray. And you're going to have that opportunity. Some of you may need to just come and pray. You can do that. But I pray that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning and that you respond however He leads. Let's pray right now.